Good afternoon. We are here in Hoboken, New Jersey, and we are uh, Jerry DeMasso and Malad Toliati, and we are the Data Literates. We're here to discuss data literacy topics, experiences that we have had over the years delivering data literacy solutions, and provide some insight into our process uh, and how we solve the kind of global ec- epidemic of data literacy. Basically, our understanding of data literacy, because exactly. uh, from <laughs> from what we have gathered, it's very fascinating to me that um, our mindset and our uh, methodology is very practical. I mean, a little bit of bragging about ourselves, but it's <laughs> okay. It is. But yeah, I mean, uh, and the reason behind it is we are in touch with uh, a wide network of people from researchers, academia, professors. We have our friends in Germany. Uh, we have uh, connections with uh, universities, with um, a lot of companies, Fortune 1000 companies, and uh, you know, like we are shaping this uh, community who can improve data literacy from what Click claims that is 20% today to 85%, which is the literacy rate in the world. So as Access Academy or basically Milad and Jerry, our goal is, our mission is to increase the rate of data literacy in the world. And hopefully this podcast will help with that. Exactly. Well said. (laughs) I said it better myself. Okay, so yeah, so maybe we should uh, jump right in. That's who that's who we are. Um, but let's jump right into some of the latest trends that are happening in the data literacy world. A um, lot of things going on with Twitter. Yes, a lot of a people lot of, tweeting. Yes, about data literacy, and um, and some really good stuff is out there. People are kind of raising awareness and and spreading the word about the problems that we're having in the world with data literacy, and uh, bringing it to the forefront of of people's minds of how we can improve it so that we can make informed fact-based decisions. Right. So, I mean, yes, uh, exactly. Let's uh, get into it. But before we do that, so I just want to give another background about sure. why we are choosing, you know, basically Milad's Twitter board, right? Right. <laughs> uh, so I think I have, and I'm sure it's the same for you, Jerry, I have a lot of interesting people in my network on Twitter. And... Um, me and Jerry meet a lot on a daily basis, and we talk a lot. We discuss data literacy. We discuss our clients. We um, and we also enjoy this intellectual difference that we have. True. <laughs> um, oftentimes. Oftentimes, yes. Uh, so I, I keep you know read, reading these uh, stories from Twitter uh, to Jerry and. Uh, as we were discussing, we had this idea, why don't we, you know, become the narrator of these stories for a larger audience? And we read these tweets, we, you know, inform people about what's out there and what is, what are the things that are interesting to us from these interesting people? So uh, it's uh, basically uh, our choice of, you know, I mean, you guys can, you know, use hashtag data literates to inform us about, you know, uh, things that you want to talk about. You can use our Twitter handle, which is at data literates also. Uh, to uh, let us know about topics that you want to discuss, if you have any questions. So this is a little bit of uh, background uh, that why we chose Twitter and you know what kind of interesting stories we want to pick from Twitter. Now, going back to the tweets, there are some uh, interesting tweets that are from a couple of months ago. I can't let them go. They're fantastic. Okay. So I want to review them from May and June. And you know we are going to review some of the more, more recent tweets as well. 
so one of the first topics that I want to talk about, and uh, I see a lot of activities recently uh, around open data. Yeah. So open, basically the use of open data to increase data literacy in all sorts of uh, workshops, you know, training sessions, and this actually puts the topic of data literacy into the center because I think the difference between data literacy and being a data-driven company or the word, the, another buzzword, data-driven, is the fact that data literacy targets a larger audience, right? And open data, there is a lot of attention about the use of open data in uh, public sector, you know, civil activities. Uh, and um, you see that a lot of countries are realizing right now about how important open data can be for decision makers, private companies, for even um, you know training the uh, politicians. So going back to the original tweet that I wanted to mention, Sandra Moscaso, who is a senior open data consultant at World Bank, tweeted about the efforts of Caribbean uh, countries to use open data for sustainable development. She mentions a data literacy workshop that happened in Jamaica end of May using Jamaica's open data portal, data.gov.jamaica. Uh, so I guess, you know, I'll add, a, add the link in the body of our, or in the comments for our uh, podcast. Uh, but Jerry, I think open data has another value for private sector, for companies too. It can, it's a fascinating tool or set of data basically that can be used in training, in, in creating challenges. Sure. And the other point that I want to make is how companies can use open data into their projects for better insight. I mean, for example, we have data.gov. Um, you know, these are like information about weather, about like number of hospitals, about like, you know, it's tons of other things, right? Agriculture, um, quality of water, you know, all these things. How can companies use these um, or in what way they should use it to take benefit of this open data? Sure. Well, it's, it's something that we do as part of our program in terms of creating challenges, right? Educating people, utilizing publicly available data, because a lot of times it's difficult to cultivate your own data and make sure that it's clean and everything like that um, in order to train people on how to use it. So that's definitely a very good use case. But uh, I think anecdotally, a lot of people kind of understand as part of their business things like weather. Things like how weather affects their business, right? If you own an ice cream stand, you know that when it's colder out, fewer people come to your ice cream stand. Right? Conversely, when it's very hot out, more people come to your ice cream stand. That's kind of anecdotal evidence, right? But being able to actually say, well, let's take this data, let's match it up with our sales, and let's actually see if there's a, there's a range of weather. Is there a way for us to go and see okay, below 68 degrees, we're not profitable. So we shouldn't even put up the ice cream stand. Maybe we put something else there instead in that space. Um, so obviously this is a small example of you know an ice cream stand, but yeah. it, it can scale a lot higher than that. Um, I know that in, in the stock market, for example, it does worse when it's raining in New York. That's, that's, a, that's something that's, that's a trend because people get 
or I don't know what the reason is, but uh, utilizing that open data set, and that's more than just weather, as you mentioned, there's agriculture information, there's right. GDP information, there's CO2 emissions, CO2 emissions and, and being able to have this data available, um, not to say that it's something that you should prioritize above collecting and cleaning your own data, your actual financial information, your sales information, your HR information, um, you know, that's a pretty high priority, but once you've kind of gotten past uh, that initial hurdle of, all right, well, let's collect all the data we have. Being able to utilize these open data sets um, can be extremely useful to determine trends. Go ahead. You mentioned something about challenges. Yeah. What did you mean by that? What did I say challenges? I mean, you said like probably like creating hackathons or, you know, things like that uh, to make sense of this open data or just like actually put it in the formal agenda. Because like, I know some companies, they actually uh, create, you know, some sort of internal challenge or like, um, hackathon yeah. or you know to basically make sense of that kind of data not really put it on the official agenda but you know it's it's fun but it's insightful and you're bringing that data to your organizations anyway so yeah it's typically better well I don't want to say better it's typically um, like like I mentioned you know you're you have your kind of work set of data that you have to make sure is clean and, and you're getting insights out of right and so that's why a lot of these open data challenges or open data hackathons that they have available um, you know within a company or, or within a, a community and we, we participate in, in those pretty regularly yeah but um, having those available uh, kind of gives you maybe a more communal aspect of things you can work with other people that you may not necessarily normally be um, Working with, uh, it's, it's more of a group setting. It's more fun, more creative, more innovative, and you can get very creative with your ideas because it's also not tied directly into your yeah. work agenda. Could be part of your CSR too, right? Could be part of your CSR too. It's part of ours. So There you go. All right, so uh, I think we are going to dedicate a whole episode to open data. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to some people from C40 cities and some of our folks uh, in the United Nations. Um, Talk to Cousin Sal, probably. Cousin Sal, I love that guy. <laughs> Yeah, you guys are going to find out who he is. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, let's move on to the next topic. We had an event in May that was called Data Disrupt, which took place here in New York City. Data Disrupt is the premier event focused on the impact of large data sets, new data, new data sources, advanced analytics, the largest technologies, and most innovative organizations on the financial services sector. Mike Capone was there, the new CEO of Quick, and uh, I'm going to read a couple of quotes from uh, Mike Capone. They're very interesting. First and foremost, people are not really data literate, either your staff or your clients. He said, not everyone will become a data scientist, of course, but your people need to have the analytical ability to understand and leverage data. To this day, so many people are just so uncomfortable working directly with data. It will be a lasting challenge. This is a very good point. You don't have to make everybody a data scientist. No, of course not. Well, it's not necessarily what people need to do. Not everybody needs to learn how to code in Python and write statistical algorithms. It's just not really a good use of their time. I mean, is it a good use of Mike Capone's time? Probably not. No. Yeah. No. He's working on burning his business. <laughs> You can't make that. I mean, but he still needs to understand data and how and how it can help him make better decisions. But he doesn't have to be sitting there writing the, the code to generate that data or clean it or massage it or do whatever he's got to do. 
So you think role has a big thing to do with the of level course. of data literacy? Of course, just like it has to do with anything else. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I, I don't need to know everything about HR but because I'm not in HR. So it's, it's, okay. it's, I'm saying it's still helpful for me to have a, a general idea of how HR works, mm-hmm. you know, from a functional standpoint, right? I need to understand why is this, you know, entity here? Is it a good part of our business? Is it helpful? Yes, it is. Um, but I don't need to know how to implement it or do do anything with it. Right. So you're saying the level of competency uh, in data literacy really is dependent to function and role, right? Yeah. Okay, so there were a lot of other events happening in the world of data literacy from different vendors. Click has a lot of events here and there. Tableau has a lot of events here and there. But one of the most interesting ones uh, that I, I'm happy that I learned more about it was the Tableau Day Out in Sydney, Australia, end of May. Especially because that gave me the opportunity to talk to more interesting people. I'm fascinated by talking and finding interesting people. Yes, it's I very can see important that. to keep these type of people in your life. So that is. Um, I saw Mac Bryla, who is a tech evangelist, appeared on the stage at this Tableau conference with this big message on the background: data literacy, the most important skill sets in 21st century. And I think this is also fantastic because the evolution of skill sets in a workplace, right? The, the, that this whole evolution process it's it's amazing uh, as you always say Jerry like uh, maybe five years ago ten years ago everybody had to know Excel right well yeah I mean everyone still has to know Excel but uh, it's not something that you put on your resume anymore no you actually get offended if you see that I, I saw you I, I do yes I hate that <laughs> that means you didn't have anything else to put there yeah, so, so how, how is this thing, how is, you know, the skill sets, evolution of skill sets happening, you know, based on, um, you know, all the trends in data and the importance of data? It's like, it's like anything else. I mean, we get a certain amount of understanding, kind of cultural, societal understanding about how things work. Technology is now uh, advancing extremely quickly. But um, as part of our society, it's now an accepted or an expected skill that you know how to type, for example. Everyone, you know, you wouldn't write that down. I know how to, to, to type on a typewriter or a computer, right? But 30 years ago, you would write that you know how to type because that wasn't a skill that everybody necessarily had. And just like yes. 60 years ago, you might write on your resume or tell somebody, hey, I know how to read and I know how to write or 70 years ago or 100 years ago. You might tell somebody, I know how to read and they might say like, oh, all right, great. You're hired. Whereas if you told somebody you know how to read now, they would just look at you very confused. Like, of course you know how to read. Everybody knows how to read. Um, It would just not be very reasonable to put that on your resume. Right. So along those lines, evolution of skill sets, I was watching on the news that Singapore has a plan to become the first smart nations by focusing on artificial intelligence, analytics, um, math, and English. It's very interesting. And Tableau is actually, uh, you know, having a partnership with uh, Singapore's government, IMDA, 
to help students expand their data skill sets. So they're trying to make that part of their educational programs from early on. Right. So the new workforce actually, you know, is already data literate when they are getting into the work market because by that time, everybody now is doing AI. Everybody is now doing like machine learning by default, right? Right. So this is true. I mean, this is what we did with reading and writing, though, right? And then what we did with typing, and then what we did with spreadsheets and word processing. And we're teaching people how to utilize computers. Now it's part of I schools now. They have those, the, they, they're all on iPads, right? Everybody does everything digitally. Yeah. And right? everybody's informing the parents of, of progress and test scores. Um, it's just part of, it's becoming part of our, our culture. And this is how, you know, we teach generations of people en masse about anything. We do it through through the education program, so it's wonderful that Singapore is. I did I did see that pop up some somewhere. I guess it was on Twitter. It was on Twitter. <laughs> um, but that's wonderful that they're doing that, and it's something that we need to do in the United States and all around the world. Yes, uh, I was I actually attended um, a virtual conference last week from University of Michigan, and um, the focus of the conference. I'll also add the link uh, into the comments. Uh, the focus was really about how can we um, use actually open data, right? So the portals. So the University of Michigan has this uh, uses FRED, which is uh, the open data platform for Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. So they're using that in their educational programs to show students, you know, how to visualize data, obviously, right, and how to argue with the data, you know, basically how to carry on a logical conversation using data not just okay this is the visualization done no if you're you know using some gp gdp metrics how do you compare it to what are the other metrics that you compare it to what are the good dimensions that you use you know so to make sense of that data so it's interesting i mean um how this is actually happening right now a lot of schools a lot of uh, you know educational programs already considered um, using open data or you know basically tools and tools like Tableau and Click uh, for data literacy education. So looking at the more recent tweets, I can see that there is a conference coming up in south of France. Yeah, beautiful. It's called uh, Data Literacy Conference. So if you guys want to check it out, well, I'll I would put the link there. Yeah. Yeah. So we started Data Literacy Conference three years ago with the goal of bringing together members of academy and corporations and talk about the importance of data and data literacy. We are surrounded by data and the news on our phones in our job. Data literacy is creating considerable inequality among individuals and organizations and across the society. Nurturing and enabling data awareness, on the other hand, can lead to real empowerment and to the development of novel practices that solve both little and big problems. In the Data Literacy Conference 2018, we will have speakers from all over the world and organize workshops to address and provide next step solutions to the data literacy gap. We wanted to show the diversity of initiatives and especially feedbacks from the ground. That was Charles Nepote, head of InfoLab at Lefing, who is hosting the Data Literacy Conference. Charles is certainly on the top of my interesting people in data literacy list.
Click recently expanded the research that they did before connections about data literacy, the one that Jordan Maroda did. Yeah. And Jordan actually published a new version of that research, which in fact there was there were no publications, it were just some marketing, you know, uh, materials out there. Uh, there was like there is actually a website for that research, but uh, now Jordan published some of his findings. Um, I'll put a link again for that publication, but one thing that I don't really see, there is no additional information in this research. I mean, we know that, okay, the rate of data literacy right now is 20%, um, 75%, I guess, of people are willing to learn right now, but there are limitations for time and, you know, convincing their leadership team that, hey, you know, these are the skill sets, the new skill sets that we need to gain. One thing I think um, Click fails to present to us is that how much time and money organizations are already investing in training related to data, mm -hmm. application onboarding, you know, uh, materials, um, I don't know, videos, workshops, and also I'm more interested to learn how effective these workshops are. So I was recently talking to one of my customers, um, and these guys, they have done all sorts of you know, workshops, trainings, um, but uh, they were not really sure about the you know, um, impact of all these trainings on data, uh, their user adoption rate. Right, yeah, sure. Um, and uh, I presented them with the idea of um, marketing analytics, right? How to position analytical tools and mindsets and all those competencies within an organization. And, and I mean, this guy believed that he did all those good things that I'm just branding it as marketing, right? Marketing for analytics. Right. Not to be confused with marketing or analytics of marketing. We're not looking at to analyze marketing information. Yes. We're saying we're looking to evangelize and market the analytics strategy within an organization. Yes, and I think we coined the word, and let's make sure that we coined the word here. <laughs> we coined it as uh, Anmar, right? Anmar, yep. So, <laughs> so the, the, the point that I explained to this guy is like, look, so in marketing, we have good marketing and we have bad marketing, right? So the bad marketing is just like focusing on events, like, yeah, just uh, put some posts on social media, and let's just show that we, have, we are active, like awareness, right? But that, that's not the end of the story. Good marketing is about strategy. Is about alignment and is about knowing the audience. What content goes to what type of audience, right? So basically, if you want to do a good job in marketing for your analytical efforts, you have to create personas in our organization. You have to understand what are the needs of different groups in different functions and in different roles. We talked about that earlier today. Um, and create your... Um, you know, marketing efforts or your, basically your um, branding of your solutions, your dashboards, your training, your workshops toward who the audience and persona is. Because at the end of the day, I think you should look at your uh, BI department, your analytics department as a business. I, wanna, I don't want to lose my customers, the customers that I have, and I want to attract more customers. So... This is a critical in user adoption and in your analytics, right? So you've got to look at your business, your department, your entity as a business. And that's why you need marketing. You need, you need good communication.
And good communication requires understanding of users. It, exactly. It's the same thing that companies all over the world are your Googles, your Apples, your Spotify's, all of these wonderful tech companies are doing uh, in their HR transformation. In their in their right, they they have determined that the their business for HR is and their customers are their employees and they're treating them as such right they interview them they understand they com communicate with them they listen they try to adapt what they're going to do in terms of okay what kind of vacation policy should we have what kind of um, amenities should we have in our office how can we make it easier for people to work here because ultimately those are their customers. It's the same kind of thing. You need to treat every aspect of your business as its own business. I understand what is going to, what is costing you money. How much is it costing you? How can you become more profitable? Whether that profit is dollars or if it's people using data more or people enjoying their time coming to the office, lowering your attrition rate, whatever that, that gain is, mm -hmm. whatever department you're trying to talk about, it's no different for analytics and BI. Last September, Touchstone Health System made a decision to use data to increase the value of care delivery and extend this value to greater audience, which is the number of their patients. And um, they, they actually chose Click as their analytical platform. Right. And so I want to read uh, this quote from Eric Damron in this article. It's, it's quite interesting. He says, from lunch and learns to one-on-one, -on -one, hands-on instructions to traditional classroom education, we offer employees every opportunity to find their aha moment, the moment when their eyes light up and insights are revealed. Before we dive too deep into training, however, I'll spell out exactly how, to, how Touchstone went about accessing critical data and the steps we are taking to make this actionable. This is very interesting. Because this guy is saying that before he joined uh, Touchstone, there were a lot of you know analytical activities going on, reporting, and all those stuff. But he, what he focused on, he was like, he's saying basically that you know there there were training, and I continued those type of trainings, uh, the traditional training. But he worked on kind of democratizing the data, right? So for, let's first give the access to data to people, right? And then we're at the same time work on training the clinicians how to make sense of the data. And then that, that's when you have the value. So I don't think these are like two different concepts, I mean, in, in data literacy, right? So these are all integrated. Uh, giving access to people and at the same time, letting, like making people understand what the data is about. Yeah. Not doing just one of them, right? Wait, well, you have to do all of them or you may as well yeah. not do any. <laughs> yeah. So um, as a result, he claims that, he says that, these insights brought exposure and deeper understanding of how the organization works and the results have also tremendous impact on morale. Now our staff feels like their voices are heard and they have the data to get their points across. I mean, the topic of today is about culture. And I think providing this opportunity to people is one of the right steps that everybody can take to to gain data literacy, to have that culture of data literacy in their organization, right? Yeah. Is that our topic for today? 
culture. It is about culture. It is about culture. It's one of our five C's. <laughs> yes. So we'll go. We'll move into story time. So yeah, in this section we're uh, gonna talk about an example or a real world story about uh, the main topic. So in this case, culture. So Jerry's gonna give us one of his. I'm gonna give an anecdote. <laughs> yeah, from uh, from one of my experiences working with a particular client that um, where he's a C level executive at this company, and um, can you say the industry or? The industry is is you well the industry itself was utilities as a utilities company but okay. the part of the industry I was working in was the call center. Gotcha. So um, we were working on call center analytics and the um, CIO of the call center, uh, which was a massive call center, they supported uh, millions of of people. So it's a massive call center is a whole a whole thing. Um. He commissioned this project to basically uh, identify the correlation, identify and post the correlation of, or rather, identify and publish the correlation of average handle time, which is the amount of time a customer is on the phone, like physically on the phone. So if you call and you're talking to the the customer service rep, and then they put you on hold. Um, for three minutes and then they come back and they talk to you for another minute. That's, you know, four minutes that you're, that, that you're average, that your handle time is. The whole window, yeah. The whole window of time. Mm-hmm. And then there's hold time and there's all the other different metrics that they also looked at. But this guy was 100% convinced that there was a direct correlation between average handle time, so how long you were on the call, and customer satisfaction. 100% convinced, and it wasn't even a question of let's find this out. It was publish this so I can exploit this, uh, you know, or is publish this so that I can shove it in my CEO's face and say, this is why we need better people. We need, we need people to hang up the phone faster. We need people to speak faster. We need all of this stuff. Um, and so, so that was, but that was the, and this is years ago. This is How did he come up with that? Was that was a gut, gut feel. Feeling? It was a gut okay. feel. He thought, go. he said, yeah, it was a, absolutely. It was a gut feeling. He said, uh, well, the longer uh, you know, I'm on the phone. The longer I'm on the phone, the more pissed off I get. Right. So that's something that means I'm, you know, I'm not satisfied, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to give them a low rating because I was on the phone for so long. So he took his experience and he applied it generally across every single person, which is it's it's a projection. That's that's what people do. Um, it's a way that we as humans can help interpret the world around us. Right. We do we project onto other things our own feelings. It's a common thing. It's not a crime, but it's not very scientific either. Right. It's a, actually a common data fallacy. It is. Example. It is. Yeah. Um, but so this was the project, and that was my job to take all of the data. I said I took the call time data, and I took the customer satisfaction, which was, you know, call. Uh, hey, if you don't mind after the call, stay on the line and, and do a survey, basically one to nine, what your satisfaction was. And you just type it into the phone. Um, so we took all that data, and we mashed it up with the call data. And I spent the better part of a week dissecting this, cleaning it up, creating this correlation statistic. And for the life of me, I couldn't get it to say that there was a correlation at all between average handle time and customer satisfaction. In fact, there was a negative correlation. It seemed like, from everything that I was 
looking at. And, you know, I'm a fairly young consultant in my career at this point. It's a long time ago. Were you nervous to present? I was very nervous to present um, to present this finding. But I couldn't, I, I just couldn't, there was no correlation. There was simply, it was a negative correlation between average handles. So the longer people were on the phone, the more satisfied they were. And it was like, this was exactly the opposite of what this guy was explaining to me. Um, and so after, after a week, I, I had the, the charts and the graphs and all the data and everything to support my, my position that average handle time simply has nothing to do with customer satisfaction. If anything, we should have people on the phone longer with people, uh, with, with the customers. And, um, I said, but what I also did was I, I noticed that there was some sort of correlation when I switched the dimensions around. There was some correlation when I switched the dimensions around um, and I pulled in what the outcome of the call was, whether the call was resolved or not. It was basically a binary field, yes or no. And I found that there was a tremendous correlation between the problem being resolved and a high customer satisfaction. So I was like, okay, thank God, I at least found some thing to show that there is a correlation with all these different algorithms that I had written. Um, so I go into the meeting and I'm, you know, I'm feeling pretty confident because I have data and I, I, I'm going to bring the data to this guy and he's going to say, thank you so much. Like, I, I really thought it was average handle time, but you really proved me wrong and, and that was great. Um, and, I got, uh, and, and I got kicked out of the building. <laughs> that day um he was he he did not care and he didn't believe it he didn't believe at all no matter what data i showed him didn't make any difference i showed him the scatter plots i showed him the coral i showed him the algorithms i showed him the raw data sets didn't make a difference he kicked me out of the building he said you're wrong you're a stupid kid you don't know anything. I've been here 25 years. Oh, I can tell you this is how it is. It's all about average handle time. And if we have shorter calls, I don't care what that data says. We're going we're gonna to get somebody else. And they hired a new consultant. They hired a different consulting company. They did. Come okay. in. They did. Hmm. Same results. Same results. Of course, because that was <laughs> what it was. Right. But this goes back to the, I mean, and so that guy no longer works there. I mean, I could, I, granted that was like seven years ago, but. Um, he didn't work there very much longer um, because fortunately one of the guys I had been working with showed the results to the CEO, had been close to the CEO and he showed the results to the CEO um, who promptly fired the CIO. CIO, so, yeah. because, um, But this is, this is what it is. We can't take our gut instincts and just assume that they're, even if it makes sense and it logically tracks, you have to be able to make data-driven decisions. And if you can, and what I learned that day was there's no guarantee that people will be very thrilled that you're going to tell them they're wrong. In fact, most often people are very upset when you tell them that they're wrong. Um, but that's our, that's my little anecdote for. So that, that's, that's actually a fantastic story uh, because I think one of the challenges that people face working with the data is fear of working with the data. Yeah. And what you just described to me, I'm just like imagining an employee, you know, comes up with the whole solution and wants to present this, but like, you know, they, they 
first of all, there's a fear of working with data in general, mm-hmm. you know, just touching the data, but like coming up with this kind of uh, unconventional results or surprising results. So w- what is the remedy here? The only real remedy is is education. I mean, you have to, and, and understanding, right? You have to go into an analysis. At all levels. Right? At all levels, yeah. right. You have to go into an analysis with your eyes wide open, mm-hmm. right? You have to be willing to hear you're wrong, right? It's okay to, everybody makes judgments. Everybody makes decisions based on nonsense and non-real data, right? Everybody makes snap judgments, and you have an idea of what you're expecting, but when you go into an, a, an analysis or when you go into a presentation where somebody is showing it, be skeptical of what they're saying. Be skeptical of the data. Argue with the data. But ultimately, accept the decision that the data has, has brought forward or the, the right. insight that the data has brought forward because you, there's nothing you can, there's nothing you're going to be able to do about without changing the data itself. You know, the data is just a tool. It's just a thing. It's not like it's trying to prove you wrong. It's just showing you what is. So that would be the advice: is go into some, go into an analysis, with, uh, an analysis with your eyes wide open, and and it goes back to that concept of accepting failure, right? Right. You fail, right? I made a judgment. I made a. I have a hypothesis. I go in. I I prove my hypothesis wrong. I failed. That's why, basically, like again, um, data literacy should be promoted at all levels of the organization. It's not yeah. just something that we do for our developers, our business analysts, I mean, executives, business users. If they are always uncertain with, uh, you know, the data that you present to them, the analysis type of analysis that you present to them, I mean, it's all of your work is useless. That's true. Because people ignore the data, ignore the facts, and go back to their previous routines. So even if you invest on uh, data assets, you know, building beautiful dashboards and everything, you know, accurate reports, if people don't trust it, they don't know what to ask to get that trust, they're not going to, you know, follow it. They're not going to follow it. They're not going to believe it. And then they're just going to put it aside. Yeah. And go back to the way they were doing things. Good story. That's a good story. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's our show for that's, this week. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening in. Um, if you have any questions, please feel free to tweet us at at DataLiterates. It's our Twitter handle. Feel free to troll us if you want. <laughs> no problem there. And if uh, you have any suggestions for any uh, upcoming podcast, if you want to contribute, if you want to be a guest speaker, uh, we are definitely open to that. Yes, and we will have next week, we will have a guest speaker. Maybe not next week. What is it? Um, in the next couple of weeks, next week, we will have a guest speaker. We will. Yeah, exactly. I'm very excited about that one. Next week, we will have a guest speaker. Yeah. We'll tell you who it is soon. Soon. Not now. You know that Cousin Sal is on the list. Cousin Sal is on the list. <laughs> Maybe Cousin Sal, because Helena can't do it next week. Why? She's on vacation from June 1st to June 18th. How do you know? What do you mean, how do I know? How do you know she's on vacation? She emailed us. Oh, I'm doing the podcast. Doing the podcast? Yeah. And you read it? I, I have him streamed to my face. What the hell?